Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and the one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Did you realize that asking about end times and the kingdom is not a new question? Here we have, over 2,000 years ago, the Pharisees coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and demanding, when will the kingdom of God come? And when will it happen? I find that interesting that they, they had no respect for him. They didn't like him, but they made demands of him. I guess they were a little bit egotistical. Uh, they uh, enjoyed having power and using it over the people that they met. Now, as we study this passage, I want us to keep in mind some certain truths because it makes a difference in the conclusions that we come to and how we interpret this passage, whether we come to a biblical conclusion or an unbiblical conclusion. And so first, remember this, the New Testament had not yet been written when the Lord Jesus Christ had this conversation. There was no 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, which gives the clearest description of the rapture. And how the Lord will meet his, his own in the air, the believers during the church era, and take them back to be with them. That had not yet been written. Likewise, there was no book of the Revelation where you have from chapters 4 all the way to the end the clearest description in the Bible of the end times events. And so they didn't have all of that like you and I have today. Also, we need to realize that the Pharisees were scholars of the Old Testament, even though they were spiritually blind to a lot of the truth and blind that the Messiah that was promised was standing right in, for, in front of them. And even though Jesus Christ had spoke of the church and taught on the church to his disciples, they probably had not heard anything about it. So anything about the church was yet unknown to them and still a mystery. And so... As we come to this, this is who the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to, these Pharisees. In verse 20 and 21, again, um, they demanded when the kingdom of God should come. Wow. Do you know what? You don't have to go very far in this culture, in your community, and in your social circle, but what people are asking about the end times. When's it going to happen? What's going to happen? How's it going to happen? Well, we're no different than they were back then. So we do need to understand this is not talking about the rapture. 
It is talking about when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to set up his kingdom. And in their understanding, they were looking for when Israel would be able to throw Rome, the Roman government and all of its uh, bureaucrats and people out of the country and reestablish themselves as a nation. And the promised Messiah would sit on the Davidic throne and rule from there and they would be free of outside tyranny in their midst. And they would understand this because Old Testament prophecy looked forward to that and spoke of that. And so they would understand and look for it. And so the rest of this chapter is dealing with this question. Now here's a couple things, principles of interpretation to remember, because you'll find some people that'll come to this passage between verse 20 and 37, and they will use this to identify the rapture. And I'll mention this a few times. This is not talking about the rapture. And we will, here's why. Number one principle of interpretation that we need to apply here. To whom is the text speaking? He is speaking to the Pharisees that view everything from an Old Testament perspective. And they are talking about the kingdom. And so we need to understand that. Not about the church. And how would they have understood it? They would have understood this discussion as a matter of the kingdom, not a matter of the church or the rapture. And so those two principles, as we come to this passage, helps to guide us because there are some challenging statements in here that may raise question. Well, what time is he talking about? How is he talking about this? And when you, when you use principles, biblical principles, to guide your interpretation, that helps us to come to a right biblical conclusion and understanding. Now, because of their spiritual blindness and the hardness of their heart, Jesus gives them a very brief, generic, and almost cryptic answer. Uh, in another place, the Lord said, don't cast your pearls before the swine. And here's, here were the Pharisees, and I want to be careful, not, uh, I don't want to be unkind towards them, but let's be honest about them. They were hard-hearted. They were a part of those that rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, His deity. They basically rejected Him. Some thought maybe He was a good man, and others figured that He was an imposter and and, uh, probably a part of those that would have cried, crucified Him when it came time at the trial. And so a couple of things I want us to understand from this passage about the kingdom of God, because there are those that spiritualize a lot of things. There are some people that spiritualize hell and say there's not a real hell. Folks, Jesus Christ believed in a real hell. He taught a real hell. But there are those that say, well, hell is just all the bad stuff you have to experience in this life. (laughs) That's not even a taste of what hell will be like. Hell is real. There are those likewise that would like to spiritualize the kingdom of God and say it's just a spiritual kingdom and that it's not going to be a real kingdom. It's just something that happens within you. And so we have to be careful how we look at this passage so we don't come to a wrong conclusion. The word within you, those two words uh, that he uses, uh, he says... uh, 
He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Here's the beauty of the King James. There's value of using ye and thee, thou and you, because thee and thou are singular. People talk about these words are archaic. And I read something that we would have to agree that they were archaic. In fact, if I understand correctly, even at the time that the King James translation was being translated, it was starting to be phased out, ye and thee and thou. But they brought it into the King James translation and use it so that we would have a more clear understanding as to whether he is talking to somebody singular or plural so there would be more specificity. Wow, I actually got that word out. I'm not going to try a second time. Uh, In what the Bible is saying. And here it uses the word you plurally, not singularly. And uh, as you look at and go back into the Greek, and I don't like doing that, and I'm not here to correct the, the English, our English translation. I think that has been widely abused, but every now and then there is some help here to help us understand that you is the correct word that should be there. When it talks about within you, it also carries the connotation within your midst. And that's why it is plural. If he would have said within ye or within thee, then he's talking about you and your inner man. But where he is talking about the word you, plural, we could say this morning, Brother Garner is within you here, within your gathering, within your midst, within your presence. So on one level of this answer, he was saying, the Messiah of the kingdom is right here in your midst. And you don't even recognize it. You don't even get it. You don't even want to get it. Do you know, here's the danger. A lot of people and a lot of unsaved people and probably some saved people are asking a lot of questions about the end times out of either curiosity or maybe how they can continue in an unsaved life and hopefully in the last moment make a change. They really don't want to know the truth and how it's going to impact them. These Pharisees were demanding an answer at the same time willfully rejecting the Messiah that was right amongst their midst. But we could even take it to the next level of within you, and it is a very spiritual thing. You see, a lost person doesn't understand spiritual truth. They can understand biblical academics. They they can understand that biblically in the academics, there were 12 disciples. One betrayed Christ, hung himself. The, The church, the first action they took was to replace him with Matthias. That's academic information. 
But for them to understand how to forgive 70 times 7, they don't get it. That's a spiritual truth. And so, to really understand the truths about the end times, if you're not saved, if what's within you is not right, you're not going to get or understand a lot of it, the spiritual truths. Even, I believe it is Corinthians, it says that these things are spiritually discerned. And if anybody is blind, it's those whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their eyes. That's lost people. Their eyes have been blinded. And and this would fit their application very clearly. Because they had rejected Jesus Christ, their eyes were blinded, And they couldn't even begin to comprehend the truths as to how all of this is going to work out. You'll not fully understand the end time prophecy if you're lost. And you know, even when we're saved, and as we're saved, God hasn't given us all the pieces either. We don't know all things. uh, But He has given us enough to understand. Now, He gives only two verses to answer that question with the Pharisees. And then he turns to give greater instruction to his disciples. You you notice in verse 22, he says, And he said unto the disciples. Now, verse 1 and 2, he speaks to the Pharisees. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that they left the presence of the Pharisees, but it doesn't say that the Pharisees stayed in the presence And so he could have, uh, and and if I could use you as my guinea pig this morning, I could be talking to you right now. And and please forgive me, but I'll use you as the Pharisees. But uh, we we answer this brief question, and that certainly is not his heart at all. But but I give you two, two verses of answering this question, and you're still here. And now I come over here, and I talk to you. And... My focus is with with the rest of you in talking to you. He is still present, but kind of outside the conversation. That could be how it happened. I don't know. They may have overheard the conversation. They may have become so frustrated at the end of the second verse that (gasps) we're leaving. And they walk off. And the Lord now turns to his disciples as he watches them strut in their pride and a huff of steam out the door of the tent or whatever it was. And then he turns to his disciples. We do know that the disciples are present for the remaining of this chapter. Again, understand the Lord is going to speak about the kingdom of God. The millennial reign. Here is a snapshot of the prophetical end times that we look forward to. The very next event on God's calendar of prophecy is the rapture. And as I have mentioned, there are some people say, well, I don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture is not in the Bible. My response is, do you believe in the Trinity? And most of them would. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We call that... The doctrinal term for that is the Trinity of God, but the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. Trinity and rapture are English words that we have used to identify certain biblical doctrines. 
And, and so we have the word, we use the word rapture. The rapture is the very next thing that happens. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 describes that event. And it talks about how the believers through the church age, the believers will be raised up out of the grave. And then the believers that are yet alive will join them and meet Jesus Christ in the air. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Nobody's going to have time to say, whoops, I'm going to miss. I better hurry up and get saved. I know Peter uh, prayed a very short prayer and got it answered when he was falling through the water and he says, save me. And the Lord reached out and saved him. But this is going to happen so fast, so suddenly, the rapture, that nobody have a chance to get saved and catch up with us. It'll happen immediately. The Lord Jesus Christ, it says very clearly, will meet us in the air. He does not come to the earth to gather his own. You'll find Revelation 4, uh, starting with Revelation 4, there's nothing more mentioned about the church. In chapters 1 through 3, there's a great emphasis on the church. You have the seven churches of Revelation spoken of in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Beginning chapter 4, you enter the throne of God, and you do not see the church again until it is coming with Christ at, at the return as the bride of Christ which happens seven years later. So once the rapture happens, there is seven-year tribulation consummated by the battle of Armageddon, and Christ is returning with his bride. Daniel speaks of this 70th week. There are 69 weeks that are spoken of in Daniel. And it says after 69 weeks, it talks about how the Messiah will be cut off. That talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then he goes to be in heaven. And there is a parenthesis of time that is not described there until the 70th week begins. And we would understand, and I don't have time to go through all of the explanations biblically to show you why we understand that one week, seven days, each day represents a year, seven years. And there is legitimate evidence in the Bible to validate that. And so you have your uh, seven-year tribulation. It is also referred to as Jacob's troubles. Not the tribulation of the church. Because the church has been removed. The believers have been removed from this world. And so it is Jacob's troubles. That 70th year is like the first 69, uh, uh, yeah, 70th week is like the first 69 weeks with an emphasis of God dealing with Israel. So too, the seven-year tribulation, there is an emphasis of dealing with Israel as a nation and the nations and how they treat Israel. And so that, that is Jacob's trouble. Then... After Armageddon, Christ comes. We have the thousand-year reign of Christ as the Messiah. It is the millennial kingdom, or as spoken in this passage, the kingdom of God. And at that point, Christ literally returns to the earth with his church and setting up his kingdom. And that kingdom will last a thousand years. It is crucial to understand that the rest of the chapter is not speaking about the point of rapture. He is addressing the nation Israel and people about Israel. 
Now we will notice the truths about this coming kingdom and some things that's going to happen. Beginning with verse 22 and through the end of the chapter, there are crucial truths that are being dealt with for understanding. In verses 22 through 24, it says that throughout all of this time, there will be a desire to see it, but they won't get to. He says, um, and he said unto the disciples, the day will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, see here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. And so we understand that until the kingdom of, of God actually comes and is set up, there will be a perpetual flow of false Christ and false statements. We've already had that. We've already had people claim to be Christ. We've already had people that say, well, we know where Christ is coming and when, and they've uh, encouraged people to sell everything they have and give it to the preacher and go to some mountain and they buy them some kind of white robes. Do you know what? The Lord's already provided our uniform and our clothing. (laughs) You you don't have to buy it uh, and sit and wait and be disappointed. You know, that's a lot of money to spend for disappointment. He says, there's going to be an awful lot of that. And he says, don't buy it. Don't believe it. Don't follow it. Don't be fooled. It'll be a time filled with imposters. However, when it does come, it will be like lightning. It talks about lightning and that lighteneth out of one part and, and goes across heaven and that. You've seen the lightning that just strikes all the way across your view of, of the skies and, and this big uh, uh, cloud of lightning that happens and, and all of that. He says it's going to be like that. So what he's saying, it's going to come from the sky. It will be brilliant. It will be sudden. It will be with great power and for all to see. And you won't miss it. You won't miss it. But in verse 25, he says, long before this is going to happen, but first must he, talking about the Messiah, talking about himself, must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. That group that he is living with right now, that generation of people, right then and there, he would be rejected by the leadership of Israel, and he's alluding to the cross at this point. Because the question was, when will the kingdom happen? He is still speaking to Jewish men with Old Testament understanding only, even as his disciples. Certainly he had already taught some on the church, but because of the, the basis of the question with the Pharisees, he's dealing with Jewish men that understood the Old Testament. Even at this point, Christ skips over the church era and the rapture of the church to speak of the kingdom. And from here through the following, there are major descriptions of it. In 26 through 30, it describes the conditions of times, of the time when it's going to happen. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. 
until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. I do understand eating and drinking is not wrong in and of itself. Getting married is not wrong in and of itself. It's a total abandonment of God in the process of all of that. And and the flood and the judgment happened immediately. But do remember, Noah preached for 120 years and only eight persons, and that was his family, entered the ark. They scoffed at him. They mocked him. They rejected the word of God. They had abandoned God. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Noah, they did eat, they drank. And he takes this one a little further. They bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, building and buying and selling is not wrong in and of itself. But when you, you are so consumed in the issues of life that you have abandoned God, it opens the door for absolute corruption and defilement of society. And that's what happened in both cases. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. It was a time of prosperity and pleasure. And they did all with no regard to God. It was also a time of absolute corruption and sin. In Genesis 6 verse 5, it describes the the spiritual and moral condition of Noah's time. And God saw that the wickedness of man was what? Great. Great in the earth. That means it was huge. Widespread. And then notice the descriptive words here about evil. And that every imagination, it doesn't say most, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And then it adds another one continually. It wasn't that it was only evil at times. But continually, that that word continually means that over and over and continuously without a break. That's how wicked and defiled the culture in Noah's day had become. Then in Genesis, and we won't take time to turn to that, but in Genesis 18 and verse 20, when it was talking with Abraham about the condition of Sodom and Gomorrah, he used this term, sin is very grievous. And yes, it included sodomy. Now, we need to have an understanding here. Forty years ago, this would have been just understood. But we're living in a time where the church, I say that generically, is more and more tolerant of the LGBTQ question mark plus whatever. The Bible's not. I've often said the word tolerance is the devil's method 
of silencing righteous testimonies to allow evil to flourish. People will say, well, that was the Old Testament and God's a little different in the New Testament. He just loves everybody. Well, let me encourage you when you have a little time, read Romans 1. And in the context of that, it says that when men and women abandon God, God turns them over to a reprobate mind that chases every form of the lust of flesh, and it includes sodomy. That's the biblical word for LGBTQ whatever. He turns them over to that. I wouldn't say that God's tolerant of it. You will also find, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I think this needs to be understood in light of where our culture is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because you'll find an awful lot in that culture that are now claiming, well, I'm, I'm a believer and I'm a Christian and God's okay with me. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They'll not be a part of it. Be not deceived, and, and that's because people are being deceived today. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that's sodomites, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, that's that whole sodomite culture nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now we understand the the Sodomites are not the only ones listed here. This list is pretty broad. But he says very specifically, if you are going to continue living in this lifestyle, you are not saved and you will not see the kingdom of heaven. But praise God for verse 10. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Anybody listed in verse 9 and 10 can be saved. And with the spirit of repentance will turn away from anyone or all of that evil and have a heart to walk with God. And so as we are here looking at this warning, and folks, there are so many preachers that are scared to death to touch this subject, but the Bible is not. And folks, if we don't warn them, who's going to? If we're going to allow them to be deceived by the devil that it's okay with God, who's going to warn them? God did love them, does love them. He died for them. But if we leave them in their deception, they'll die in their evil and never have a chance. And so my friend, I've been rather explicit about the biblical truth with this. This is the signs of the conditions. It will be a time of great profit, pleasure, and defilement. 
you'll find in that verse or word reveal. Verse 30. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The, the Greek word behind that is one of the words for apocalyptic. And so we understand the time in the revelation of God. Those are the conditions of the time. Verse 31 through 37. It will be a time of warning and sudden judgment. In that day in, in which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in his house. Stuff. <laughs> There's a 21st century word for you. Our houses are full of stuff. Our garage is full of stuff. And then we rent uh, uh, storage units and fill them with stuff so we can get the stuff out of our living room and out of the closet into the garage and out of the garage and into the uh, storage unit so we can get more stuff to put in the living room. Stuff. It'll be a time of a lot of stuff. Let him not come down to take it away. He that is in the field, let him not likewise return back. Remember Lot's wife. It'll be a time of warning. Somebody will say, okay, the rapture has happened. The believers have been taken out. Who's going to give this warning? There's three opportunities for warning to happen. Number one, when we go, we don't get to take the Bibles with us. There's going to be Bibles all over this world. I'll just give you an example. Since 2003, our church has assembled 200, no, 2 million, I think it's over 2,300,000 John Romans. And they're scattered around the world. We have done these in 20 languages. In this new shipment, we're going to get a 21st language. We're going to get another language. Um, it's going to be all over the world. They're going to be left, uh, maybe some will be left on a doorknob somewhere. Maybe some will be left in the kitchen cabinets. Maybe some will be left in a grass hut. They're going to be left, John Romans alone is going to be left all around the world. Bibles are going to be left in all of these homes that people are going to take over to possess that was owned and lived in by Christians. Bibles are going to be in there. They're going to find these Bibles and they can still read it and begin to understand what's going on and there's going to be people get saved. There's also, and, and I'm not sure how the 144,000 get saved and become witnesses, but they're going to become widespread witnesses. Now, just so you know, and for our radio and TV audience understand, these, these are not really Jehovah Witnesses. That religion has lied in a big way. When they first started their religion and their, they had to rewrite the Bible to be able to accommodate what they wanted it to say so they could reject Jesus as being God the Son and also to point to them as 144,000. When they started, they were trying to amass 144,000 in their cult and they called themselves the Jehovah Witnesses and they were the 144,000. And then something happened. They exceeded 144,000. By a big number. They still believe they are those witnesses, but it's just more than 144,000. Take them to Revelation where it says that these 144,000 are Jewish 
in their ethnicity. They are men in their gender. And it also says they are virgins in their moral integrity. So, next time a JW, I, I don't mean to be unkind. I did this once. It went silent and they walked away. I took them to the passage in Revelation and I said, 144,000 and you claim to be the Jehovah Witness. Uh, I said, are you Jewish? No. Because there was a couple of ladies, I said, it's obvious you're not men. Let me ask you the third one. Are you both virgins? Because you see, to be a, a witness, these are the criteria stated by the Bible. They went silent and walked away. You see, that's just one of their lies that purport to build their religion. But there would be 144,000 Jewish virgin men that will have a change of heart and accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Will it be because of the Bibles and the New Testaments and the John Romans scattered around the world? They got a hold of it and read it? I don't know. But the Bible says there will be 144,000. And they will learn and know enough to warn others. And then there will be the two unique witnesses who will be killed for their witness, their bodies left in the street, and they will be resurrected from that death. And they will see it. This is where the warnings will come during that time. They will be warned spiritually to believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They will be warned physically to escape to the mountains. He says, uh, there's going to be harsh, uh, the Antichrist is going to bring harsh retribution against Jewish believers and any believer. And saying, get to the mountains, find a place of escape, get out of the cities. I don't care if you're upstairs, don't go downstairs and get your stuff. I don't care if you're in the field, don't go back to the house, get your stuff, flee to the mountains. There's going to be physical warning to preserve your life. And then they'll be warned if they seek to save their life, they'll lose it. Their way of life. You see, remember Lot's wife? She was turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back and wanted her way of life to, she had to leave it all behind. It'll be a time of judgment. Warning and judgment. Like in Noah's and Lot's day, the wicked were taken out. It will be global. In there it talks about both night and day. It says, I tell you, verse 34, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. This is not talking about the rapture. You see, everything's different between the rapture and the kingdom of God and the return. In the rapture, the believer is taken out and the unbeliever is left. At the return of Christ and the beginning of the kingdom, the unbeliever is taken out in judgment and the believer is left to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as he comes with his bride. There's the great difference that will happen. And so it will be global because it says some will be happening in the night. That's one side of the world. 
and the other will be happening during the day. This is not going to be an isolated event in the Middle East. Because on one side of the world it's daytime and the other side of the world it's nighttime. And and all of the normal things of life are going to be happening. Then I want to talk about these. I mentioned that it is not the rapture, but how it is happening. But I do believe, again, I need to address something very quickly here in verse 34. There shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. This is not God's endorsement of a sodomite relationship. Forty, fifty years ago, we wouldn't have any, nobody would have thought that. But because of the widespread culture and demise of our culture, I have to deal with this. Now, here's some reasons why we know this. Number one, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. God's not going to say one thing in one place and contradict himself in another. And so, regardless how you look at that, if one goes to judgment and one uh, goes to be with God, and however you try to interpret that, I, I interpreted that the wicked is taken out in judgment and the believer is left to meet uh, the king of kings. But it still says there's two men in one bed. This is not a sodomite relationship, and we use 1 Corinthians 6, 9 as one of the test uh, passages. You, you look at very clear passages to interpret the unclear. Here is another reason. If you'll notice, the word men and women are in italics. Now, we are very jealous for the word-for-word translation of the King James Translation and Bible. But we are also honest enough to admit that there were some places in that translation a word was not given and the translators put a word in there to make it read more smoothly. This word was added in. Anytime you see a word in the King James translation that is in italics, that is a word that was added in so that it would read more clearly with that. You go into the uh, record of Matthew 24 where it talks uh, uh, about this event as well. In at least one occasion it says, and two, and it does not put men or women there. It just says, and two. Now, for whatever reason they chose to do that here, I do not know. But uh, the italics is another reason. But here is also another reason. In the older English, the male gender was used at times of referring to both male and female. Case in point, mankind. That includes both male and female. The grammatical use of using male, and and that would have been true at the time this was translated. That was true even when I was in high school. Because they they were teaching, and that would have been uh, 1970, 71, 72, right in that time. I graduated in 73. Because in that time, and up through all of my schooling, they taught us that you use the male gender when you are including both genders. That did not change until the rise of the feminist movement in the 70s. 
And if I understand correctly, now somebody that does teaching today that knows how things are taught today, that's not true anymore in most education. They will not use man generically to refer to both genders. Now they don't even know whether they can use male or female or it, she, uh, whatever, (laughs) to identify with the genders. But that is another reason that it is not endorsing a sodomite relationship. It will be catastrophic, verse 37. It talks about God will call the birds to clean up the mess. You'll find this in Revelation 19, verse 17 and 21. And I'm out of time. Then the kingdom of God will begin. Remember Lot's wife. Don't be so consumed in saving your way of life that you lose a life in Christ. As a believer, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior through repentance and faith, you need not worry about experiencing any of this. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for certain about eternal life and have a peace that you will never have to experience this. Quite frankly, this is information for for what we need to do during the church age is not really that important. And I need to be careful how I say that. Because it's, it's not going to alter the things that happen in our life. But at the same time, it really is important. Because we have lost family, lost friends. There's lost people out there. And this opens a window into what they will experience if they are alive when the rapture happens. And it ought to challenge our compassion to reach the lost. Father, we come to you this morning. What an incredible chapter. And Lord, I pray that that we will grow in our understanding of how God's going to work. And Father, for believers here this morning, I pray that that our heart will be tender and we will become more compassionate for the lost. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning or listening or watching this message at any time later that is uncertain of eternal life, Father, I pray that we could have the opportunity to show them how they can know for certain. In Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
ever been frustrated or frightened by a cut or a nosebleed that won't stop bleeding or had an emergency where bleeding can't be controlled, you need Bleed Stop. It's a safe-in-the-wound, non-stinging, FDA-cleared powder that's clinically proven to quickly and easily stop bleeding even for severe wounds and for people on blood thinners or people with nosebleeds. My oldest son cut himself with a knife quite badly and we had Bleed Stop with us and we put it on the wound and it stopped the bleeding. Bandages don't do much to stop the bleeding, certainly not if you're on a blood thinner. Bleed Stop works. Simply put Bleed Stop onto any cut or wound, apply pressure, and watch the bleeding stop. 
Easy to apply. It doesn't burn. It doesn't sting. Take away your bleeding fear. Bleed Stop absolutely works even if you're on blood thinners or suffer from nosebleeds. Bleed Stop is used in emergency rooms across the country. Bleed Stop only works if you have it on hand. Imagine what Bleed Stop can do for a serious cut. Find Bleed Stop by clicking on the Bleed Stop button on the 1360 KHNC webpage. Get yours today. Chehibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit TeheboTeaClub.com. Tehebo is spelled T like Tom, A-H-E-E-B like boy, O, then continue with the word T and then the word club. The complete website is TehuboTeaClub.com or call us at 818-610-8088, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-610-8088, TehuboTeaClub.com. Bleed Stop, clinically proven and FDA cleared to stop even arterial bleeds. Pour it into the wound, apply direct pressure, and clotting occurs in seconds. No stinging or burning. Minor cuts or major wounds, Bleed Stop is a must for first aid kits, backpacks, and trauma bags. Find Bleed Stop by clicking on the Bleed Stop button on the 1360 KHNC webpage. Products and prices listed on the KHNC website are 20% off the regular Bleed Stop website prices. Get yours today. The Blue Dragon Spa is a man-friendly spa with women bringing their husbands and significant others in for pedicures all the time. Men's feet hurt too. Don't forget. Blue Dragon Spa. 1811 Hover Street, Suites A and B, Longmont, Colorado, 720-680-0492, Get ready to embark on an extraordinary journey with Kelvin Crosby, better known as the Deaf Blind Potter, and his over 15 million followers right here on KHNC every Monday at 5 o'clock p.m. Kelvin will motivate you and show you how to live beyond life's challenges right here on AM 1360. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. (laughs) 